0: Yeah, well, man, I'm going through an identity <laughs> crisis on a daily basis because honestly, I, I feel I'm more interested in, in conversations around the future of work, the future of education, the importance of community, where these technologies are taking us. And I feel the office has to respond to all of that if it wants to stay relevant. So my focus in, in what I do to earn money versus what I think about and talk about are not directly correlated although i feel they're very relevant to talk about for the office industry to consider
1: ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of the future is hybrid i am kenneth hellum the self-proclaimed remote evangelist and with me today in the virtual studio all the way from canada i have a guest that i've been looking forward to talking to dave cairns welcome to the show hey thank you so uh so happy to be here and so inspired
0: by all of these opportunities to, for people like us to just cross paths and, and get a chance to talk would have never happened pre pandemic. You know what I mean?
1: No, it's a different world. And for the people who don't know, this is the first time I speak with Dave. I've been following him on LinkedIn. He, he talks about himself as a futurist, but I would call him a LinkedIn influencer. This guy posts more than, than I've seen anybody else do lots of great content, <laughs> lots of great videos. In his professional life, if I if I got this right, and correct me if I got it wrong, uh, you started out as a professional poker player. Yes, ranked I did, top hundred.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I was ranked as a, a top hundred online tournament poker player. So there's there's several avenues to play poker. Um, cash games is one of them, and then tournaments are another. That you know, in simple terms, would resemble like a golf tournament in terms of the structure of trying to win it. Um, so that's, that's the format that I played in and at various points in my journey as
1: a player, I was ranked in the top hundred in the world. Yeah. So what's the transition now you now you work with offices and you're an office futurist. How, how did we get from poker to office futurism?
0: Yeah, well, man, I'm going through an identity <laughs> crisis on a daily basis because honestly, I I feel I'm more interested in in conversations around the future of work, the future of education, the importance of community, where these technologies are taking us, and I feel the office has to respond to all of that if it wants to stay relevant. So my focus in in what I do to earn money versus what I think about and talk about are not directly correlated although i feel they're very relevant to talk about
1: for the office industry to consider so, um because so, so, i feel like
0: if we don't we're in trouble kind of thing
1: so what does your employer think about this because you're out there your job is to to help with office leases no
0: yes well I, i'll i'll explain i'll give an answer to that and then i'll sort of say like what my area of focus has become yeah i give them a lot of uh, credit and and um compassion for the fact that I can, I'm I'm allowed to speak the way that I am because we've got customers that that range, you know, from traditional landlords through to like, you know, bleeding edge remote first companies. And we also work with uh, flexible workspace operators. The, The brand name that people would know listening to this would be WeWork, but there are many, many other types of flexible workspace companies that CBRE would work with as well. And so I tend to focus on working with these flexible workspace operators and helping them grow their footprints and I feel that a lot of what I talk about is aligned with that future. You, you know, you referenced that you feel that, the I'm not trying to poke holes here, but you're saying the future of work is hybrid. I kind of feel like hybrid is a stepping stone to a more liberated worker. And I think that's kind of the direction that we're moving in. And I think that that's why a lot of people resonate with this work from anywhere term as opposed to hybrid. Um, and I don't really mean that everyone's going to become a digital nomad or anything like that. But I think that even corporate employees are craving the type of autonomy that is afforded to entrepreneurs and that is afforded to gig workers, but they still actually want to work for an organization for, you know, moving towards a shared purpose, um, the safety and security that comes from, you know, working for a larger employer and a myriad of other reasons. It's just, I'm, I'm watching a sentiment shift notably with millennials and Gen Zs in the way that they want to be able to work. And it, it centers around freedom and autonomy. And I, I think there's a huge opportunity for the commercial real estate sector to get on board with that, but it involves quite a big structural shift in the way space is offered, monetized, and the way service providers such as CBRE make money. Um, because you know it's, it's not um, a secret that short or long-term leases are becoming less and less prevalent Mm -hmm. and the desire of most companies is is a lot of different on-demand real estate products um, and services. And so like when I think of hybrid, just to sort of close one thing on this, uh, Leisman just put out some, some data. Leesman is a workplace satisfaction organization that pulls the largest employers in the world to better understand how their employees are feeling about you know, not only workspace itself, but just how work is happening within that organization. And of 30,000 knowledge workers polled globally, 41% of them highlighted that they plan to come to the office, the central office one day or less per week. And within that was I'm going to come one day all the way through to two to three times a month, one time a month. I'm not going to come at all. I'm going to come when someone tells me to. And so like, The sentiment is that I look at that sentiment and go, that's autonomy in action. That's a desire for autonomy. But right now, there's very much a binary choice between going to that central office or staying at home. And I think that there's this gray space in the middle that's a huge, huge opportunity um, for the commercial real estate industry to play in and for employers to kind of catch up, too. Uh, so those are the kinds of things I like to focus on.
1: I agree 100% that I think you'll even find me on, on record saying that hybrid is a necessary evil. I've Mm -hmm. evolved my mindset since that. I'm not sure if it's evil anymore. Um, but, Mm -hmm. but the way I see it, that there's gonna be lots of companies and companies are gonna do different. They're gonna have different needs and different values and different models of operating on one hand, you will have some companies that are gonna be hundred percent in office. That's gonna be what they want. That's gonna be what they dictate. Uh, but I think that's going to be a very small percentage of all companies. On the other side, I think you're going to have companies that go fully percent, fully remote, 100% remote, where there is no office. Maybe there's access to co-working, but, but there's not a, a central place you can come in. Yeah. I also think that's going to be a small percentage, particularly in the beginning. Maybe we're moving in that direction. But in between, there's all these other companies that haven't figured it out yet. They don't really know mm-hmm. what to do. They they might say they're in office, but people aren't coming in. That means they're hybrid, right? Or, or maybe they have a hybrid policy, but they haven't figured out how to realize the benefits of that. I think that space is, is very interesting. Uh, at Belico, what, what we say is that you're free to work from wherever. Um, our office is in Stockholm. I, I live in Malaga. Um, but we appreciate the office. So we say we, we provide an office for the people who want to come in. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. in, in no way mandated. We we call that hybrid. Others would call that remote. Yeah. You know, really, I call that choice led.
0: Um, it's it's a very interesting time in the evolution, frankly, of knowledge-based work that we're having to actually put all these definitions around things. Like, I, I really do fundamentally believe at some point we won't really be talking about these definitions anymore. It'll just be work. And technology will help nudge us in the right directions in terms of, how we co-locate with one another productively. The the landscape for what's available in terms of office space is poised to change greatly towards um, migrating from fixed lease spaces that are owned and operated by companies towards branded spaces that are managed and serviced by operators. And within that comes a huge opportunity to buy space in a far more, many, many permutations of on demand, right? And so when that happens, I think it can shift culture too. It can allow for companies to unbundle how people come together and they can go beyond remote or an in-office approach. So I almost wonder like, you know, do companies of the future basically have a membership to a brand that they align with for workspace that their employees are able to access, you know, across a number of different locations even within a city center and beyond a city center, right? So I, I think that the changing nature of sentiments from people, the evolutions of technologies like Microsoft Teams Premium, for example, that are fundamentally changing the way that we actually meet with each other and the productivity gains that can be had through artificial intelligence playing a role in how those interactions happen and what can be prompted you know, thereafter or the information that we can go back and easily access or an email that can be automatically generated related to a specific task or outcome that came from such a meeting. Like all of these things are really, I think, bifurcating the way that we interact from a productivity perspective and from a location independence perspective, which improves quality of life. I think we're, we're really moving towards interacting digitally the way we are right now. But I think the value of in-person connecting is just being amplified like fucking crazy. It's just that we haven't figured out all the new ways in which we're going to bring people together in those in-person ways. But one of my core beliefs is that within a hybrid or fully in-office setting, taking aside um, specific uh, training and productive reasons that may necessitate that. Cause I'm not here to say that every organization functions the same or every team functions the same, but if we just like compartmentalize that for a second, I think that we actually, just like sometimes we take for granted our relationships in our personal lives where, you know, we see our partner every day and we may not actually fully appreciate them. We may need to be reminded of how important that person is to us because of the constant proximity that we have to that person. I think the same thing is true in the context of office-based work, where it's like, well, I don't really need to worry about having an intentional interaction with Ken because I'm gonna see him tomorrow. Yeah, we'll have lunch. But if we're dealing more in a remote kind of capacity, and frankly, just because of all the reasons I just mentioned that makes sense for that to be the case, when I come together with Ken, like whether it's synchronous online, like what we're doing right now, or it's in person, like we're really gonna go deep, right? We're gonna have a meaningful interaction with one another. And I think that's a really big positive. Like I'm all for that.
1: I had a great one um, in our leadership check-in today. We check in, we open up how we're feeling and uh, what's kind of top of mind for us, uh, regardless of work. And uh, one of my colleagues shared how he uh, missed us, how he missed talking to us and, and had his kind of note to, to reach out and make sure that we we do spend that time. So I thought that was a beautiful check-in on, on that topic. I have two questions yeah. I want to dig into a little with you, Dave, if you focus on Office, because you see a lot of this. So so uh, I'll give you both of the questions first so so we don't muddle them too much. But the first is how have the offices changed? Basically from pre-pandemic until today, what, what are some of the shifts we're seeing there that are already kind of true? And the other type of question is what's the office of the future? We've touched a little on that, but I'd like to double-click a little more as well. But if we start with the first one, what what are some of the changes we've okay. seen already?
0: Well, I think that you need to focus on the smaller and more nimble startup companies to see where the changes are are happening. And I mean that mostly in terms of how they're interacting and using office space, not necessarily how it's designed. Um, but larger companies are kind of like cruise ships. It's really hard for them to change course. Like, And I mean that in both senses, like changing their policies with which they engage with the built world, but then also even modifying the layouts of that built world because they have these intensively built out spaces. Maybe they improved those spaces in 2019 and they don't have the budget or even if they do, they're planning out that and the whole process just takes so much time. You don't tend to see a large organization reinvent their physical workspace until their lease is closer to expiring and either they renovate the space that they have or they move to a new one in many cases to to, to change the way they work. So physically, I don't think there's been a huge amount of change in the way that space has been laid out at the top end of the market with large organizations. And I think what we've really seen is more of like a fixed hybrid approach, which feels very static to me. It doesn't really feel very flexible. So I wouldn't argue a lot's changed there. But on the startup side of the equation, I see quite a lot of change. Um, when I started as a real estate agent, um, you know, 10 years ago, and even, dating back to the few years before the pandemic, you know, if you were a startup company often you would still take a lease for a thousand or 2000 square feet and sign a five-year lease on that. And when you really think about that practically, like it never made any sense in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that while companies had a knowing of that, there was still this notion of like, well, if you start a company, you get an office. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think the pandemic threw that out with the bathwater, <laughs> like the notion of starting a company and getting an office is no longer something that newly formed companies, you know, either just before the pandemic or in the pandemic, they don't have that mindset. And so what I'm seeing is things like, they're booking a space at a predetermined day at a cadence of like one time a month or two times a month through a flexible workspace. Mm. And I'm starting to see, uh, I, I'm actually an advisor to a company called Flex Day, which is creating a new product offering where they're going to landlords and they're saying, look, let us take some of the small spaces that you have and design them for, pe- for companies to be able to use at a regular cadence, one time a day, two times, uh, like one time a month, two times a month, things like that. And I'm starting to sort of notice that a lot more of these organizations are doing that. And so that's a pretty big shift when you think about it, to go from taking a five-year lease to now buying a space by the day at a, at a cadence of whatever it is, and maybe booking that out six months in advance. That's a pretty big sentiment shift in how space is being used. It shows this level of intentionality that like when that team is coming together, they're doing it for a specific set of reasons. They're not just sitting around each other each day, doing mostly heads down work. Like if you go to ChatGBT and you ask ChatGBT, how much work do knowledge workers do heads down? It'll say, well, it's difficult to know, but it probably ranges between 50 to 80%, right? And so I think that this is what these companies are realizing. So that's the first one. And then I think your second question is what's the office of the future? Yeah. Um, if you, if you rub that magic ball.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: you know, you always, I mean, look, I look, I like to have a magic ball, but, you know, I want to be cautious to not sound like I'm pontificating as if I know the future, because I don't, but... I'll get back um, to you in three I, years, and I'll
1: share this episode to, <laughs> to see no. how you
0: did. Well, I think the office of the future is going to be built at the bottom up. I'm not convinced that large employers within the financial services or accounting or consulting realms of the world are going to be the ones that reinvent the future office. Um, I think it, it's a groundswell that will naturally evolve with the changes that are happening right now around how we produce outcomes through digital tools that are just like expanding like wildfire. Um, and then just really the, the changing sentiments of top talent and how employers respond. But if i if, if i take what i think is happening and i've touched on a lot of those things already it feels like the office becomes a network of spaces um, that are that are able to be accessed on demand and that are adequately nudged by technology to help people figure out what outcomes need to be achieved from a specific type of space and how can we ensure that if people are not going to the same place every day that the benefits of being together are not lost and i think that the technology tools can do that like if we're in a moment right now where we can leave a microsoft teams premium meeting and it can tell us what types of tasks we should be thinking about doing from that meeting i think that we're going to be able to be nudged also in terms of why it would be beneficial to get together in person where the best locations are to match that need and so on and this is all kind of, in my mind, underpinned by the fact that the landscape of office space is changing so much. Like there's a lot of concrete predictions out there that are really now coming to bear around this shift in supply from fixed long-term leases to space as a service. Um, that, those, those predictions were already there pre-pandemic of like you know 30% of supply flipping that way. Um, but my brain is now going beyond that. I'm saying to myself, if I look at how people have gotten together in their lives since the pandemic, when the office wasn't really an option, they've basically leveraged all economically available spaces that are out there in a city. And that could literally be a park bench, like, or it could be a cafe, or it could be someone else's home. Like, I, I actually feel that people are going to be collaborating far beyond what we consider an office space today. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a future state that I think is going to take time to play out, but it is one that I can envision. Will
1: happen to, um, to buildings and cities.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, Dror Polleg made a comment who is a, a famous kind of thought leader in the future of work and cities and real estate. Um, I'll do my best to paraphrase it. I think he just sort of said like remote work is not going to kill cities. It's simply going to reinvent them. And, you know, if you look at Toronto right now, Toronto, Canada, which is a market that I do a lot of business in, even though I literally live on an island on the east coast of Canada, it's kind of funny when you think about it. I'm a commercial real estate agent, transacting on office space, working predominantly remotely from an island. Like if if I can do what I'm doing, like, you know, everybody can basically, um, (laughs) it doesn't come with some flack, let's say that, but. I can do it. It's just a question of how happy other people are about the fact that I am doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but if we um, if we look at the fact that there's roughly 150,000 people trying to migrate to Toronto on, a daily, on, on an annual basis, we don't have close to enough housing to match that demand. Mm. But yet we have, in the downtown core alone, 75 million square feet of office space, which currently has a vacancy rate of about 15%. And that number is much higher than, than stated because there are a lot of long-term leases that have still yet to expire, which will incrementally bring more and more vacancy back to the market. So if we look at the makeup of cities, like on some level, we have too much of this fixed office real estate. Like, can there be workspace that blends into other areas of the city, like cafes, like literally people's homes, there, there are um, office marketplace platforms like Radius Pro, a woman named Amina out of, um, uh, I just give her a plug. She's out of, um, uh, I don't know if she's in Seattle or if she's somewhere somewhere on the West Coast. She's building an office marketplace, office with quotations, where people can congregate in other people's homes. It's almost like Airbnb, but for working for the day. Yeah. So, you know, like these are novel ideas, but wh- where do they go, right? So- you know what happens to cities I, I feel they become more about living and more about um like entertainment and engagement and perhaps less about sitting at a desk at a fixed location in an office tower i mean like i don't think it takes rocket scientists to determine that if we were to rebuild a city from the ground up today i don't think we would build financial districts in the same way that we have we, we do it a little differently
1: <laughs> all right man that was a lot of fun interesting um insights um a lot to to kind of process and digest how about we round it off? we ended with with a story about dave because you've invented this term called homad Mm -hmm. tell me about the homad (laughs) cool yeah i'm glad you asked um
0: well it's sort of like a second coming of myself as a digital nomad um when i was a And that's a way of looking at it that I just came up with right now. So I might keep running with that. (laughs) Um, When I was a poker player, I was a digital nomad. And I did that between 20 and 25 years old. Um, I didn't know that's what I was. I didn't have a name for it. I was just uh, an online poker player that traveled sometimes for live poker stops. Um, And I traveled, you know, because I could to live other places and play online poker. Like costa rica or wherever right but i didn't know about that term and then i became a real estate executive and predominantly worked in an office for nearly 10 years and then the pandemic happened and it actually stopped my ability to make money which i think you know understandably most people in my situation were were and are very upset by because it's their livelihood but I looked at it like, wow, this is a gift. I'm actually able to now unlock a guy that I put in a box and close the door on, which is the digital nomad. <laughs> and I started you know, basically merging my understanding of corporate real estate and corporate life with this world that I already came from and kind of felt like, well, I've been here before. I can share more and do more on, on this basis. And you know, this wasn't a story that only involved me My wife also, um, you know, both of us together changed so much in the pandemic. And it was really her, and I give her so much credit, that convinced me that we could go and live in a place that we um, historically were planning to make a vacation destination, which is Prince Edward Island, the place we now live. And she kind of said to me, like, Dave, why wouldn't we, like, why are we making a place our vacation destination that we love more than anywhere in the world? Like, why are we not going to go there? Like, and, and we know that we can't live in Toronto anymore it's sucking us dry like we gotta leave yeah. so why wouldn't we leave to the place that's our favorite in the whole world and it took some convincing because it was like an identity crisis for me because of what I do for work but I opted to listen to her as I pretty much exclusively do I don't know how many times I haven't listened to my wife I always, and I don't mean that in the, in the way where like oh you always listen to your wife I mean like she's brilliant and I'm so grateful to have her perspective and she helped Get me down this path. And once, what I realized after about a year of being here is that I'm calling myself a homad because I'm a parent. I can't just move around the world anymore with a laptop. My daughter needs to go to school. She needs to go to a dance class. She needs consistency in her life. So I have to live somewhere. But what I think is unconventional is the fact that we live in a place that people. Would, people like me wouldn't have historically considered to live in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, uh, You know, a small, a small population of 150,000 people on this place, the smallest province in Canada, and it's all because of a shift in thinking, not a shift in what was possible before the pandemic, but a full shift in thinking that has brought us to an unconventional place. And so from that point of view, I think of it as being
1: a digital home ad. I, I love that so much. One of the the key benefits for me, uh, of the remote life and the ability to do remote work is, is what I've crafted as living my best life. It allows me to choose where I want to, uh, choose my setting and then still be able to work with companies of my choice anywhere around the globe. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so I, I resonate strongly with that. Dave. Right on, man. I am so happy uh, you took the time to come on the show. I really appreciated this conversation. Jewel. I've done a lot of this, man. This is like one of the most fun
0: ones I've <laughs> had. I swear to God, this is one of the most fun ones I've had. So Why? What you was different? A good job of just creating what was it? different? Well, um, I don't think you, 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 you leave a lot of space to just let me go where I want to go. Um, but I think that you came prepared with a few really important directions to go in and questions to ask. And so
1: I think you did a really great job of bringing it out of me. Thanks. Appreciate that. I look forward to following you on LinkedIn. The stuff you do is great. I'll put all of that in the show notes for our listeners. And uh, we'll catch up in the future. Rock on dude. Love it. Thank you. See you later. Ladies and gentlemen, today's episode was brought to you by Bellico helping companies go from in office to hybrid aided by subscription-based furniture for your office and your home office. As always, I am your host, tellum with another episode of The Future is Hybrid.